0: Our ring-tailed lemurs are named after beers and ciders.
1: Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my Raw Safari. Hi there. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to the podcast whose host has spent more time with collared lemurs than in collared shirts this year. The Raw Safari Podcast. I am so excited to have y'all back here for the second episode of season two. Um... For those who may have missed the first episode, uh, my interview with Ron McGill at Zoo Miami, make sure you go back and listen to that one after this one because it is incredible. But yes, today we will be continuing our series of live interviews done in Florida as I was gigging down in Sarasota. And y'all, today I am taking you, you know, in podcast form at least, to a very cool Very unique, very special place that is closed to the public. I am talking, of course, about the Lemur Conservation Foundation, which is located in Mayaca City, Florida, which is actually not a city, but is near Sarasota, so made for a very cool, very early visit during my recent gig down there. And I have to tell you, this visit really set the tone for all of the time that I spent in Florida. Even though I visited and did an interview at the Jacksonville Zoo on the way down, which you'll be hearing soon, uh, this was actually the first interview that I did once I started drumming and gigging and doing all of the things on that side of my life, and also trying to balance seeing a bunch of cool animals and stuff, and as you will hear in this episode, uh... I saw lots of cool animals, and just everyone at the Lemur Conservation Foundation was incredible. And I do mean everyone, because after I finished up the interviews and everything, I walked out into the kind of the main room area there, and um, basically the whole staff was there having a meeting, and it was mildly intimidating meeting everyone at once, but they were all awesome and super curious and interested in what I was doing, and... uh, just so kind, just so kind. It was it was really cool being there. So I'll let you hear more about that in a minute, but first a couple of quick reminders. Don't forget patreon.com slash Rossafari is how you can support the pod. For as little as three dollars a month, you get bonus audio, bonus photos, and some other cool things that come your way depending on what level you support the podcast at. I especially want to thank my good friend, fan, and patron, Laura Shank, for upping her support to red panda level, meaning she's uh, paying $20 a month and gets all kinds of cool stuff like what I mentioned before and this shout out on the podcast right now. Now, if that ain't money well spent, I don't know what is. You can also Venmo a one-time donation to Safari on Venmo if you'd like to support the pod that way. And if you don't want to support us financially, that's cool. Make sure you are telling your friends and family about us. It'd be cool if you could maybe set up a tweet or a facebook post or an instagram post talking about the show and what you love about it and of course even just following along on instagram facebook and twitter at raw safari or on tiktok at raw safari pod helps spread the word every little bit helps last but not least quick reminder if you can go and consider leaving a review or at least giving a five-star rating on itunes or the apple podcast app It actually really helps people find the show. And even though our numbers have been growing and doing really well, I still want more and more people to find this show and hear about the amazing work being done by zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. All right, enough of that. Let me tell you a little bit more about the interview you're about to hear. Today, I am bringing you one interview, but with two guests. Caitlin Kenny is the curator of primates at the Lemur Conservation Foundation, and Lauren Arshakuni is the lead keeper there. And they are going to tell you all about lemurs, the conservation science around them, how many species there are, all kinds of cool stuff. They also happen to have an interesting program at the center there uh, where lemurs are able to run around free range in the forest. It's really cool, and the steps that they take to protect the lemurs and also keep other wildlife out and stuff are pretty cool. It is is, is an exciting time. I'm really glad to be sharing all of this with you. But before I share that, I'm now going to share some words from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com slash studios. All right, so I think it's time. Let's get to it. Here is my interview with Caitlin and Lauren from the Lemur Conservation Foundation. All right, so um, why don't we start off by you telling me who you are, where we are, and uh what you do here?
2: Yeah. Uh, so, my name is Caitlin, and I am the curator of primates here at the Lemur Conservation Foundation in Mayaca City, Florida.
1: And who are you?
0: I'm Lauren, and I'm the senior keeper here at the Lemur Conservation Foundation in Mayaca City, Florida.
1: All right, we're off to a good start. Um, And also, just for my listeners, you need to know that even though this is a two-person interview, uh, uh, we're doing this with one microphone. So every time you hear an answer, somebody has to lean really far over to give that answer. Um, I was woefully underprepared for this one, and I'm really excited about it. So just a nice mental image for you all. So... um, Cool. We will get to the 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 center here and the amazingness that it is. But uh, I want to start off by talking about how you both got into lemur conservation and this amazing place in the middle of nowhere. Um. So why don't uh, why don't you both go through a bit of your history?
2: Sure. So um, I. Uh, This is Caitlin, by the way. Um, I am from North Ottawa, Massachusetts, and I went to school in Pennsylvania. Where at? uh, Delaware Valley College. Okay. Now university. Um, Yeah. So as part of my program, which I was a conservation and wildlife management major, uh, we had to do... um, internships, basically experience to uh, as part of the degree. So I interned at the Buttonwood Park Zoo in New Bedford, Massachusetts. Love it there. And then I was also a diet volunteer at Elmwood Park
0: Zoo. What? Come
1: on. How? (laughs) How? How? Okay. If this is your first episode, Elmwood Park Zoo is like my home zoo, my heart zoo. I love it there. And it's this tiny little zoo in Norristown, Pennsylvania that I keep having- like talking to people who have, have spent time there because obviously it's the most amazing zoo, but that's incredible. <laughs> I am there all the time when I'm
2: home. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, you know, one of the closer zoos to Delaval. So they, I was able to do that during my school year. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so I did those, and then after I graduated, had a bit of a, a holding period, waiting period, um, to hear back from somewhere. And I actually started here at LCF as an intern. Um, and then when I was approaching the end of my internship, they had a keeper opportunity open up, and I applied, and I was here, and they liked me, so they chose me. Um, and I've been here ever since. So I've been here for seven years now. Um, and I've worked my way up through hard work, experience, and also some circumstance into the curator position. Um, and yeah, I I did not go into my schooling or this field to specifically work with lemurs. Um, I actually really enjoy big cats, um, a lot of other animals too. Uh, and it just kind of circumstance that I was here and, and have since developed here and then Once I was here, I fell in love with the facility and the animals and the staff at the time, which has changed since then. Um, that I don't love you guys now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But they were a large part of why I stayed. You know, I wasn't going to stay at a facility that I didn't enjoy. Right. Um, And a lot of that is your coworkers. So uh, yeah, and and we've changed and developed so much over the years. And it's it's such rewarding work here. Um, And I've loved staying here.
1: Very cool.
0: Uh this is Lauren talking. Um so growing up as a kid, I was always really fascinated with primates. Um I collected all the stuffed animals possible. Um but I never really thought I would be working with them. But I went to school um Oh, I'm from Redwood City, California, and I went to college at Sonoma State University in Roner Park, California. And I went in undeclared. I actually went to play sports for the school, um, so I wasn't really thinking about my major. But then, after a couple years, um, I got into anthropology and then I decided to declare that as my major. Um, Then I decided to do a primate focused um, for my major, and the end of my senior year, My professor, um, she's a primatologist, and she was talking about Oakland Zoo having internships. And I was like, wow, I love Oakland Zoo. Um, Never really thought about keeper work. Um, So I decided to apply, and I did get the internship. So I did a three-month internship at the Oakland Zoo. Um, There were primates on the string, but it wasn't heavily primate. Um, And then I decided to do another internship at the Oakland Zoo, um, which was more primate-focused, but um, baboons and chimps, so they were a lot more dangerous and hands-off for an intern. Um, Then I applied to LCF, and um, I got the position as an intern. (laughs) (laughs) And so I did start here as an intern in 2017, um, and towards the end of my internship – uh, there was a job opening for a keeper position, and it was offered to me, and I thought it was the best thing ever, so I, of course, accepted, and I've been here ever since, um, so about four years now, and I was recently promoted to senior keeper, um, but yeah, the tasks here are just always changing. And my responsibilities have increased, um, so it makes me, you know, really enjoy the job. Um, it's not always the same every day. The animals are great. Um, we do have interns, which are always great to have, and it's um, we have interns every three months, so it's just an always changing staff um, keeps you on your toes.
2: So I will say real quick that not only. We're Lauren and I starting as interns, but our other two keepers and our education manager also started as interns here.
1: So what you're saying is if you want to get into this field, uh, interning is a good idea.
2: Absolutely.
1: Very cool. Um, all right. So let's, let's talk about the facility itself. Um, we are in, what's the name of this, this town again?
0: Myaka City.
1: Mayaka City. I had never heard of it. I, you, you, This is like a hidden gem. And y'all are not open to the public. Um, yeah, I, I have to tell you guys. So we, I, I get this email telling me to come for this interview. And um, it's like, okay, so then you're going to turn right. And you are going to be on a dirt road. And there will be farms. And you will think that you are on the wrong road. You are on the right road. <laughs> Then you will pass a cow with three spots. And after that, there was actually one instruction that was like, do not turn right. And I'm so convinced that there's like a dragon at the end of that road. I was dying. But um, yeah, this was quite an adventure just to to get here. Um, And then you are suddenly transported to a place where you're in the middle of some woods. And there are some buildings. And there are lemurs here. And go ahead and describe the facility a little bit more.
2: Yeah, so we have uh, 130 acres out here in the middle of nowhere, Mayaka City. Mayaka City is a farm town. Um, It's not a city at all, uh, which you described very well. (laughs) Um, Yes, we are off of a dirt road. It is actually a private road. It's owned by those farms. So there used to be a very scary sign at the end of the road, and that's when I started writing those directions to everybody (laughs) saying, no, you're okay, keep going. Um, yeah, but we are 130 acres, and we currently have two lemur-holding buildings and three free-range forest habitats, and those range from about, uh, three to four acres is the smallest, up to nine acres is the largest right now. Um, we are currently in our office space, which is the Mianatra Center, which means, um, I believe, learning in Malagasy. And then also on site, we have a couple housing opportunities. So we do provide housing for our interns. Oh, wow.
1: That's really cool.
2: Yes. And that is a drawing factor for all of us. Uh, It's particularly based on where we're located. There is no housing nearby. So uh, it is one of the things we offer. Uh, We also have staff housing out here. Lauren lives out here. I lived out here until last year. Um, And... Yeah, so that's kind of the general layout. Um, Species-wise right now, we have 51 lemurs, five different species. uh, Ring-tailed lemurs, red-ruffed lemurs, common brown lemurs, collared brown lemurs, and mongoose lemurs.
1: How many total species of lemurs are there?
2: There are over 100 different species in the wilds of Madagascar.
1: Over over 100? Yes. Uh... I now counting here. I think I've seen maybe six or seven species. That's that's fascinating. It's time for interrupting. 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 John. Mm. All right, y'all. So I decided to do a bit of a deep dive on this one because, as was explained to me, the reason that they say there are over a hundred species is that species are constantly being discovered and then sometimes as more work is done, it's decided that they're subspecies or they are different species. So the number has changed a lot. According to Googling a bunch of current up-to-date scientific sources, it seems the most common number given is 110 different species, although some say it's 111 and I've seen as high as 113 and 114. Also, on a side note, I realize I greatly underestimated the number of lemur species that I have seen personally, with my number being closer to 18 than 6 or 7. I just uh, wasn't thinking about all the various kind that I've seen when I was doing this interview. But anyway, that's enough about lemur species count for now, and so uh, let's get back to the interview. Um, and I had never seen the common brown or the, uh, the collard before coming here. Um... So, wow, that, that's so much to even take in. Um, are they all in trouble? Are they mostly in trouble? Are there some species that are just killing it right now?
2: <laughs> yeah, so lemurs are considered one of the most threatened groups of mammals on Earth. 98% of those over 100 lemur species are threatened with extinction. Wow. And 33% of those species are critically endangered. Uh, and those numbers are up from their last um, kind of analysis back in 2008. 74% were considered threatened, and now it's up to 98%. So they are facing some pretty critical uh, issues over there
1: right now. Cool, and we'll definitely get more into that. Um, but just just from a numbers game, um, I'm curious, and I don't know how much you'll even know about this, but... Um, You know, you can go to any zoo and see ring-tailed, and a lot of them have red ruffed, and occasionally you'll get, like, crowned, I've seen at a few places, Um, but why are so few of the lemur species um, common in zoos? That's
2: a great question, and the kind of most simple answer is many of them are so specialized for their environment in the wild that it's not really possible to replicate it in a captive setting, particularly um the larger species like the Indri, the silky shapok, those guys are so specialized for their habitat and their diet that it's just not possible to maintain them in an XC2 population. You have to protect them in the wild.
1: That makes sense. Um, so how many okay? So let me ask you this: what what is a lean? Um knowing that there are over a hundred different species and stuff, like what makes a lemur a lemur at the most basic?
2: Uh yeah, the most basic, I mean lemurs are primates. Um they are prosimians, which essentially means pre monkey. Um, their ancestors or what, you know, other monkeys and apes, uh, evolved from. And they stayed the way they are more or less because they were isolated on the island of Madagascar. They weren't facing the same evolutionary pressures as species on the mainland. So they were able to split into all these different species and specialize into their habitats as lemurs versus kind of evolving and becoming higher primates, (laughs) Uh, and then another fun fact about lemurs um, that makes them unique among primates is that majority of the species, the females, are socially dominant over the males. And that's not something that you see in most other primate species.
1: Cool. All right. So feminist uh, prosimian, uh, prosimians. Feminist prosimians, there we go, Are are how you would describe lemurs. I like it. All right. Very good. Um. Yeah. So let's let's get into a little bit about what your mission is here. Okay. So so take me back to to maybe the founding of this and and talk me through a little bit about why you're here right now.
2: Yeah. So our mission here is that we are dedicated to the preservation and conservation of the primates of Madagascar through managed breeding, scientific research, education, and art, uh, and all for Parts of those are really important to our founder, Penelope Beaudry Sanders. Uh, she founded LCF in 1996 on paper, and then she had to work to fundraise and find property and all of that. So the original lemurs came to our facility in 1999, and Penelope is still involved to this day. Uh, she was our executive director for many years. She lived out here on site for many years. Um, she's kind of quote unquote retired from us for now. She does still live down here. She's in Sarasota and she does come out still quite frequently, but she's not as involved into the day-to-day running of the organization anymore. Um, very well deserved on her part. <laughs> she's put in a lot of blood, sweat and tears into this organization. Um So not only do we have our on-site colony here in Mayaka City, but we also do a lot of conservation work on the ground in Madagascar. Uh, We have a really great education program run by our education manager, Katie Viren, Um, One of her key things is our Aku Conservation Education Program, so anybody, zoo or teacher or other education professional who's interested can go to our website, a little plug here, um, and apply for a free kit. Um, And it comes with um, children's books, it comes with lessons plans, there's an educator's guide, uh, and it's a really fantastic um, kit that encompasses all sorts of lemur-related education stuff. Um, and then also in our mission statement is art. And that's really close to Pinnell's heart because Pinnell is an artist by trade. Uh, and she really loves drawing people into conservation by using art, um, you know, Numbers and statistics are great, um, but sometimes they just kind of float over people's heads. And whereas you can show them an image, either a photograph or a painting or a sketch or what have you, or even music, you know, um, other forms of art that's not just visual and really draw people in and affect them in a way that uh, makes them care probably a little more than numbers do sometimes.
1: Definitely. I am a big, big fan of art, obviously. It's kind of what I do. But um, yeah, and when, when you first walk into the the office building here, um, it, it's just an amazing collection of lemur art, and um, it, it's, it's really incredible. I mean, there are drawings and watercolors, and um, it really sucks you in uh, yeah, it's very cool to see that. And I think that's pretty unique, uh, to have art as part of a mission statement for a conservation organization. So that, that really excites me a lot. Um, yeah, very, very cool. And then, so you said that you do science as part of this as well. Um, obviously just conservation itself is a science and, and taking care of animals is a science, but, um, what other ways do you contribute to the scientific understanding of lemurs?
2: Yeah. So, in particular, we do a lot of scientific research. Um, we've done behavioral studies. there, have, And by we, it's us, but also visiting researchers. Um, we have... Field schools come in, so these are usually college groups from various universities that instead of going on spring break and partying, these students sign up for a class that they will come to our facility for the week. They will learn how to do field research methods. They'll learn how to do ethograms. They'll learn um, what goes into nutrition and diet of a managed population. Um, They spend their days out in our forests um, throughout the year. Uh, They have to deal with all of that entails. And then we also have, you know, doctoral students, we'll have master's students, we have postdocs come out. Um, All of this research, uh, like I said, or started to say, uh, behavioral research, we've done cognitive studies. There was a scent-based cognitive study um, that happened over a couple of years that was just recently published, uh, which was really, really interesting.
1: Tell me a little bit about it. Like at its (laughs) most basic, like what, you know.
2: Was that I was Katie mm, and Tiffany? The end. Okay. Uh, yeah. So the the part that we were most involved in was uh, the actual study part because she actually needed our help for this. So she did. Um, this is Dr. Elena Cunningham from uh, NYU, and she did. Uh, they were actually Chinese takeout containers. Some of them were empty, and some of them had cantaloupe in them. And she would do the same location with the cantaloupe. Um, we did like a learning period of like a week that every day they would be shifted inside. Um, she would bait the area with these boxes. They would go back outside and to give them a learning time to learn which boxes were baited. And then over time she would begin increasing the time that they were offered again. So one day later, two days later, three days up to, I think three months, six months, etc., cetera, uh, to see if they remembered which boxes were, uh, the baited ones. And then she also did a smaller portion of this out in our free range habitat where she would put these baited boxes in areas that the lemurs don't travel to, to kind of see how good a sense of smell they have, which they do. Uh, they are scent communicators. They have wet noses like dogs. Uh, and you know, it, she has a video that we have on our server. That's really interesting of the ringtail lemurs, a group of eight or nine, just walking down the pathway. And then you see the one in front kind of stop and pause. And then she just takes off into the brush and she's running for that cantaloupe (laughs) that she got a whiff of. And in that instance, that was not something that was there constantly. It was, it was a completely new novel thing and she smelled it and just went for it. Um, so obviously, the details of her paper are going to be a little more in depth than that, much more scientific than that description. But that was a really cool long-term study that we were a part of out here.
1: Nice, very, very cool. So we have fifty-one lemurs here. What's it like taking care of fifty-one lemurs? Let's let's talk about this. Tell me about your keeping.
0: Um, yeah, so we do have two um, buildings, and basically a normal week would be that um, a keeper would work at one building for the week and then the next week they would work at the other building. Um, So one of our buildings has a greater population of the lemurs just for its size um, and it has two um, forests that are occupied. But um, basically a day-to-day is going out, checking on our colony, feeding everybody, medicating whoever needs to be medicated, um, cleaning, enrichment, Um, but yeah, right now we do have a couple of infants and they're definitely growing quickly, getting off of mom, um, if they are on mom and it's definitely always, uh, an exciting day. Nothing is ever the same as the previous day. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nice because we aren't open to the public. So you do get to put most of your focus on the animals, their welfare, um, their quality of life, and you're able to do your job without focusing on other um, other aspects of the environment. Um, so that's why I really enjoy working at LCF. Um, I get to put all of my focus on the animals that I get to care for.
1: Cool. And um, so, tell me a little bit about it, just as far as like you know, lemurs in captivity. What are these? What are what are they eating, and how frequently? And what kind of enrichment do you do? And all that fun, you know, zookeepery stuff.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. so they do have a really um, big list of diet enrichment items that they can get for produce, um a lot of fruits and vegetables, um anywhere from watermelons and other melons. Um, they do get you know strawberries, blueberries. grapes are definitely a favorite bananas. Um, but a lot of them also like sweet potatoes and cooked parsnips. Um, but our enrichment, we do have an enrichment calendar. Um, since we do have 51 individuals, it, it is hard to come up with enrichment for the entire colony. Um, so having an enrichment calendar is really helpful for us. Um, and anything from foraging or olfactory scent, um, new items, switching around pillow pets. They do love their pillow pets. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Um, But yeah, and even our uh, free-ranging lemurs, the forest is their enrichment. Um, They get to climb trees. They get to smell new things. They get to see their neighbors. Um, But yeah, enrichment is a huge part here, and that's honestly one of my favorite things that we do, um, seeing them interact. Um, Our mongoose lemurs are probably our easiest to enrich. Um, You could move anything in their enclosure maybe a foot away, and they would think it was brand new. (laughs) Um, but yeah, and then we do have, um, we have been training, um, I actually was able to ultrasound train one of our, um, moms this year, um, and I was successful at it. And it was, congrats. Thank you. Um, definitely my biggest accomplishment. Um, but all, you know, all props to her. She was amazing. She's also very food motivated, Um, but yeah, being a keeper is awesome. There's just so many things that I get to do in a day.
1: That's so cool. And yeah, I want to talk about the biggest, uh, you know, enrichment item y'all have, which like we said, are these free range forests. Being out there was one of the, I know I say this all the time on the podcast, but I keep having cool experiences, but one of the coolest experiences I, I I am a huge fan of zoos i'm a huge fan of of the positives of of captivity and I realize these are still captive animals. but standing out in wild trees and having lemurs running around you and exploring and and living their best lives was amazing so i 'd love to talk about um kind of the logistics of, of how you make that work. First of all, we're outside, we're in Florida. How have they not all run away?
2: Yeah. So our forest habitats are surrounded by an eight foot tall chain link fence. And then the top of that has four feet of Electronet on top. The fence also goes two feet into the ground to prevent any digging animals. Um, But the fence line helps keep the lemurs in and it also helps keep uh, native wildlife out. Uh, The other thing about the fence line is that trees and other brush are cut back 10 feet on either side of the fence. So that helps things, helps prevent things from jumping over. and that's kind of the basics there. Uh, all of our free-range lemurs do still have free choice where they want to be. So they have access to these multi-acre forest habitats, but they also have access to their shelter at all times. Um, this could be uh, our building shelter, which we have overhead tunnels that run from the building out to the forest. And then some of our forests also have what we call domes, which are a nice dome structure, uh, which is their shelter out in the dome. And that's those are really great for forest introductions for kind of a soft introduction into the forest. They get to see, hear, smell everything in the forest for usually a week or two before we open it up and let them go out. Um, And and that's always a fun experience, doing a first-time forest introduction. Uh, Fun, nerve-wracking for everybody involved, usually, (laughs) staff and lemurs. Um, But it's so fun to watch an animal who's never been in a forest before realize how much space they have that they can go to the very top of you know a 40 foot tree if they wanted to um, or they could sit on the ground they could go under the dome if they wanted to they could still sit in the caging at the dome if they're not comfortable going out yet um, but to watch them grow and develop and and become free ranging animals is so much fun.
1: Great. Well, and then you have you have another uh, system of of you know just making sure that you know where they are at all times. So yeah. We'll talk about that a little
2: bit. Yes. So all of our free rangers wear radio telemetry collars. Uh, This lets us locate them at any point. If they don't come in for a feeding or maybe we had a really big storm the night before and they haven't come in yet in the morning, we can pull out our telemetry, type in their frequency and go find them out in the forest. Uh, We do color code all of our collars with uh, different colored electrical tape. Um, This helps our interns learn who the lemurs are a little faster. It helps our visiting researchers be able to differentiate, especially if they're, you know, a college student that's only here for a week. I don't expect them to be able to tell apart nine different ring-tailed lemurs to know who they're studying. But if they know I'm watching yellow collar today, that's pretty easy for them to remember. And then yellow is for yingling. So uh most of them will pick up on a few of the names, the more fun names. Um but yeah, the 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 radio telemetry collars uh, are a great system for for locating, for identification. Um and also a great teaching tool for, for the field schools and also our interns. We get to show them that unique skill of of using radio telemetry that you wouldn't necessarily be able to try and and do at a at a zoo or another institution. Um, and maybe that will trigger them into thinking, you know, I really love this, but man, this field work is pretty cool. And maybe I want to redirect my path more towards field conservation, which is also really cool. You know?
1: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, that's, that, that makes a lot of sense. That's very cool. And, um, the way that telemetry works, I'm curious, do you guys like always get data or do you like have to ping them?
2: We have to ping okay. them. Okay. So these are not GPS collars, which do exist, but they are much more expensive. Right, right, Uh, and for the number of collars that we use, uh, which can range from, you know, five at the utmost limited, um, to probably 30 or 40 40 even uh, at our highest points um you know I, I can't afford 40 500 radio callers fair fair yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um that yeah no that that makes sense but that's cool um and that's just a great way of, of being able to, to keep track of your free-range lemurs free-range lemurs i think i just figured out the episode title anyway <laughs> So let's talk about some let, let's let's bring it down a little bit. Let's go specific. Um each of the groups, each of the families has their own kind of nomenclature and you mentioned Yingling. So uh let's let's talk about some of the more fun uh naming systems y'all have here.
0: <laughs> yes, so all of our species here have a name theme. Um so our ring-tailed lemurs are named after beers and ciders. Um, and then we have our common brown lemurs, which are named after wines, and then we have our collared brown lemurs, our French names, and then our mongoose lemurs are Spanish names, and our um redruff lemurs are Malagasy names.
1: What is Malagasy
0: uh Malagasy is actually one of the spoken languages in Madagascar
1: very cool and um yeah it it's kind of funny to hear you know we're out there and we're we're hanging out with these lemurs, and it's like, hey, Yingling! And then suddenly you're saying some name that is in in a language I've never even heard of before. This is very disorienting, but uh, entertaining. Um, My favorite were the wine names, personally. I I enjoyed that. Um, And so... Tell me about some of the individual lemurs here who are, who are stars. I, I now have a, a personal favorite red ruffed, And, uh, if you would tell me about that, well, both of them really, uh, yeah. Tell, tell my listeners about those. And then maybe some of the others that are more, um, personal.
0: Um, I'd like to say that Molson is definitely my personal favorite. Um, he's actually, um, a male in one of our free ranging forests. He's a ring tail, um, he's definitely not anywhere near dominant, um, <laughs> <laughs> but he likes to relax, and um, he definitely does many things in the forest that is always good for a great picture. Um, but we also do have, um, we have training stars. Um, one, for example, would be Schaefer. Um, he's one of our ex-pets, but um, he's definitely done great things in training. Um, thanks to our education manager, Katie. Um, he's lost a lot of weight. He was, um, overweight for quite a while and didn't have a lot of energy, um, to do much of anything. Um, but now he's always running around his enclosure. Um, he's dropped a significant amount of weight. Um, I definitely think his behavior has changed for the better as well. Um, but we also have a lot of mom stars this year. Um, so many
1: moms.
0: And first-time moms. Um, it's amazing to see um, first-time moms do such an amazing job. Um, we have one, Zaza Bey. She had triplets. Um, she's a red ruff lemur, and she's just amazing with them. Um, they're a handful uh, for everybody, but she definitely does an amazing job with them. Um first time dad as well, who is um Ranu And he's just he's great to see with them. He's so caring and gentle. Um, but they're definitely getting to their play stage and um very f- food motivated and all over the place. Um, but yeah, we do have a lot of stars here at LCF. Uh,
2: and I just want to put in my two cents for my favorite lemur <laughs> is a red rough female named Ravina. Um and she uh we always joke here that all of our staff there are some common favorites Yingling being one of them. <laughs> um and then everybody has their odd favorite. So not that Molson's an odd favorite, but uh cuz a lot of people like Molson, but my odd favorite is Ravina. Um a lot of people don't understand why I love her so much. She's kind of derpy. <laughs> um totally That's honest. the scientific term by yes, the way. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, but she and I really bonded actually back when I was an intern. Uh, she had her first, uh, birth of, of infants and that whole experience, um, just blew her mind. She did not take to motherhood very easily. <laughs> um, and there was a lot of one-on-one work that I did with her back then. Um, and we formed what I like to think is a very special and strong bond. Um, and even to this day we're I'm not out, uh, doing the daily care as much anymore. Um, you know, if there's something that they, the keepers need her to do and she just won't do it for them, they'll call me over and can you please get her weight or whatever? Like she's really not cooperating today and I can usually get that. Um, so she's very special to me, but we do have, um, one other special individual who comes to mind and his name is goose. Uh, and he is Yingling's son. Um, he's named after the goose Island beer. (laughs) Um, Uh, We actually didn't see him on our tour today because he is currently in our quarantine space being introduced to his new girlfriend. Uh, But Goose is special. He was born here in 2015 and um, at just a couple of months old, uh, he was a free range lemur with his family. And I think his family was up to about six at that point. Uh, He was just starting to get off a mom, just starting to explore his space. And unfortunately was attacked by a red shoulder hawk. Um, The talons punctured his spine and his left leg was paralyzed. Yeah. So we did a lot of, of care with him. Um, We tried to save the leg and we did get some mobility back into it. Um, But as he grew up and started uh, getting more adventurous and, was back out in the forest with his family. He developed uh, an open wound on his knee that we were unable to heal. And so we ultimately amputated his leg. So he is our, our one-legged goose. Um, and he gets around great. He, up until this introduction, was still a free ranger. Um, he can climb just as high into the canopy as everybody else. He's faster than the rest of his family, usually. Uh, and he's a great... He, he's a rock star. Um, and he's one that people... Really remember as well, uh, if nothing else, because he's missing a leg.
1: Right, right. That's amazing. That's really cool. Uh, I need a description of two more uh, lemurs in particular. <laughs> the the two red ruffs that I was spending a lot of time with and, <laughs> and, and quickly became my favorites. Um, one of which is more of a strawberry blonde ruff. So yes. t- tell me about my friends.
2: Yes. So uh, your two best friends are uh, Rivetra and Frazzy. <laughs> Uh, and they are two of our Red Ruff males. Uh, Frezzy is our yearling. He was our only infant born last year, Um, and then in contrast, we had seven infants born this year. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so he's at that really interested, inquisitive, still highly active stage. So yes, he was very interested in you as a guest, and we haven't had many guests out here recently. And then Rivetra is our strawberry blonde. So he is a very light colored, rough, red roughed lemur. Uh, and he was one of three born. Uh, he was triplets uh, with his brothers and his brothers were normal colored. So, um, you know, it's not like he's some sort of weird hybrid that we couldn't quite figure out or whatever. He is pure red rough lemur. And he's just got this odd genetic mutation that makes him this fun strawberry blonde color. Um, but yes, he's gorgeous. He also has kind of Greenish blue eyes, where the normal for rough lemurs is more of an orange, uh, and he really does stand out visually
1: yeah, he really does there uh, there will be photos on uh, on Instagram, and um, yeah, I've, I've never seen anything like it. It is really gorgeous. Um, and then so um, you mentioned briefly pets, and um, let's talk about this for a second. So in Florida. You can have a lemur as a pet, but this is highly frowned upon. We are we are not fans of uh, lemurs as pets. No one in this room is, is a fan of this idea. Um, and uh, let's make it clear. Y'all do not exist to just take in pets. That is not how this works. You have taken in some in the past, but um, if you're listening to this thinking, I need to get rid of my lemur, that is not the place to do it. Uh, I want to be super clear on that. Um, but also you seem to have noticed a bit of a trend with some of the, the pet lemurs that have come in. So talk to me about that a little bit.
2: Yeah. So we do not support primates as pets, any primate, but obviously for us, lemur specific. Um, and there is a variety of reasons for that. Um, lemur wise, you know, lemurs need other lemurs. They are social species. They have complex social groups that you just can't replicate if They're the single lemur in your household. Um, They are wild animals. You know, they can't be tamed. Um, They do carry potential zoonotic diseases, which can easily be transferred to humans, especially because they are other primates. Um, Purchasing lemurs, even if it is, you know, in a legal sense, from a pet store or whatever, it is still promoting the illegal pet trade in a way. Um, And, Even more, the illegal trafficking of animals. Um, The continued demand for pet primates fuels illegal capture and trade of those animals from the wild, whether you know it or not. Um... And they are can also be an invasive species. So there are released slash escaped primates living in the wild here in Florida, including rhesus macaques and <laughs> vervets.
1: Okay, I'm not really laughing because that annoys me. But it, you just it threw me. I cannot believe that there are macaques and vervets living in Florida. Yes. Oh,
2: okay. Yeah. All right. Yes. The yes. Rhesus the rhesus macaques are, are a herpes positive population.
1: Fantastic been, Good work, yeah. everybody. yay <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah, so you know there's there's all of those reasons. Um, and the ones that we tend to focus on uh, are are more of those social reasons, um, because they reflect more on our expats here. So our expats do have more issues with social interaction, particularly with humans. And that was why they were given up. Uh, When they reached the age of sexual maturity, which ranges from like two to three, maybe even up to four years old, um, usually two to three, they started to become aggressive to their, their humans, uh, and were ultimately given up. And that's, you know, that's not uncommon story for a relinquished pet lemur. Um, it's usually because they become aggressive as they get older. Uh, and that's, we believe usually relates back to that, that social system that they don't really have. And then they don't really know as they get older, how they fit in with your human family kind of thing, um, to really simplify it. Uh, so yeah, our, we do have a group of, we have two ex-pet ringtails and, uh, one ex-pet common Brown who lives with her son, who she was pregnant with when they were confiscated. So the Browns were a confiscation. The ringtails were relinquished to us, um, we work them protected contact because they are aggressive towards humans. Luckily over time, um, and these individuals have been here for over 10 years. We were able to over that 10 year span, um, work with them to at least be able to live with each other and have, you know, lemur socialization. Um, but it's not easy. And a lot of these pets come in with a lot of, you know, social issues. Um, and our facility was just not built to, uh, be able to house them, be able to do these long-term introductions, things like that, because that's not our focus. Um, the ones we have were very special cases um, back in the day, and we have since developed and grown enough that we, we really can't afford to bring them in anymore. But we do work uh, with the North American Primate Sanctuary Alliance uh, to help Anybody who contacts us, uh, we will usually direct to NAPSA to help them figure out a good placement for their
1: pet primate. Very cool. I mean, you know, not the whole pet primate thing, <laughs> but the fact that you're willing to help out and that there are groups that do. And uh, yeah, um, I know everyone listening knows this, but um, yeah, no, no, no panda pets, no primate pets. Stop it. Go to zoos. You know, support good places. Yeah, that's pretty important. And speaking of good places, um, as you all know, I'm a big fan of accreditation. And despite the fact that this is a closed to the public conservation facility, you all are AZA accredited. That's really cool.
2: Yes. So technically we're AZA certified.
1: Ah, certified, (laughs) not accredited. What is the difference?
2: Um, essentially the difference is that we're not open to the public. So there's that whole part of the accreditation process that we don't have to go through. Makes
1: sense. But as far as the animal care stuff.
2: All the animal care stuff, we are held to the same standards. We have to go through all of that same inspection process. Uh, But that, yeah, we are an AZA facility.
1: So sick. And are part of the SSP. Yes. 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 And and I think that's important to mention because we've talked about breeding here a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we're talking responsible, genetically diverse breeding. Um and you're actually the uh stud bookkeeper, am I remembering correctly? Yes, for, yes, ring-tail for ringtails. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. That's really cool. So um I did not know uh that that you could be a AZA certified uh institution as a conservation organization. Um I'm really excited about that, and, and you guys must be really proud of that.
2: We are. We definitely are. Uh, I will say, you know, when we first opened, we were not. Um, but over time um, and as we grew, that was a big, important part uh, to our founder, um, was to be uh, certified to have that standard, um, both for ourselves and to, you know, say to the world, we're legit (laughs) um
1: (laughs) no that sounds silly but it's so true especially in the world of blackfish and tiger king and all of the crap out there right Mm -hmm. now um i mean i know you guys listen to the uh my case for zoos you know and that kind of thing um it's just really frustrating uh trying to do this good work and having people that don't you know often have the 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 best intentions, but, um, don't really understand it, don't get it and stuff. And having that certification, like you said, it gives you an added, you know, there are some people who will say, well, no, the AZA is corrupt too and whatever, (laughs) but we can go down conspiracy theories all day, but that is really cool. And, and I think especially, um. Having free-ranging lemurs in Florida sounds like a real bad idea if it's not done right.
2: <laughs> right, right. And I, that was a part of it, too, is because we're not open to the public and people can't come in and see what we're doing. And, yeah, we have the free-range lemurs. And, you know, if you hear something like that, it's like, oh, this place sounds kind of sketchy. Like, what are they really doing out there? So that's another level for us to be um to tell people like, no, we are concerned with this species. You know, we're not just out here for, for funsies. Um, You know, we are involved in conservation. We are involved in the scientific research. We are a part of AZA. We do work, you know, nationwide, sometimes globally on animal transfers to, to better these, these populations.
1: To be fair, it's also really funsies here, but you're right. (laughs) That is not the main purpose. Um, And then you mentioned that you do uh, some uh, in-situ conservation work as well in Madagascar. Tell me about that a little bit.
2: Yeah, so we do have a conservation research director here. His name is Dr. Eric Patel, uh, and he coordinates all of our in-situ conservation, um, which is pretty wide-ranging, honestly. Uh, We work up in the northeast part of the country in the Sava region. Uh, and we focus on two large forested areas. One is Marojejy National Park, and the other is Anjan Sud Special Reserve, or ASSR, uh, which is very close nearby. Um, together, they cover 320 square miles of mountainous rainforests. Um, so we do uh, lemur-related work there, but we also work in the local villages to do a lot of um, Uh, uh, population-focused conservation work as well. So, you know, we do some of this stuff. uh, We do overnight student field trips into the rainforest. A lot of the local kids have seen, you know, small maybe mouse lemurs in their villages, but they've never seen a large lemur, even something as large as a ewe lemur, um, where these parks also have indri, which is the largest species of lemur, silky shafak, which are also extremely large for lemurs. Um, So we do, you know, like... three-day, four-night or something like that trips into the forest. So they get that whole introduction. Uh, We do fish farming, which is exactly what it sounds. Um, Animal protein can be pretty hard to come by in some of these areas. So uh, we come in, we we have a, a cooperative setup for this, but we come in and we, you know, developed this uh, the fish pond and there's training and then there's, you know, a, a harvest day every year. And um, there's all of that. Uh, we do reforestation work. We grow and plant trees. We co- collaborate with several nurseries in the area to do that. We uh, One of our big things that's been taking off recently are these fuel efficient cook stoves, which we collaborate with uh, uh, an NGO called Ades. A D E S, and these stoves um, use less fuel to to cook um, than than a traditional stove, um, and those are those are really popular in our area. Um, we buy them and basically sell them at cost, so we're not gaining anything. We're just facilitating the transport of them to our area. Nice.
1: This is now the second conservation organization that I know of, along with Red Panda Network, that is. Uh, making stoves a priority. And if you would have told me, you know, even six months ago when I was already doing the pod that, that I would be hearing about stoves being helpful for conservation, I would have thought you were a little cuckoo pants, but um, it really does make a difference it and does. it can make energy efficient means less deforestation. Yep. Also, I know at least in Nepal, I know it helps with, um, having safer stoves means less chance of burning down more forest and stuff. And it's all amazing that people are even thinking about that in terms of conservation.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's more than just protecting the lemur itself. You know, you got to protect the habitat. You have to, um, you know, there's the education, there's the reforestation. We do lemur population surveys, which helps people know what species, how many are in the parks, um, We do forest monitoring, which monitors for um, lemur bushmeat traps. um, It monitors for illegal logging, um, artisanal mining. Sometimes um, they will do illegal vanilla plantations in the park. Um, So all of these kind of things that... The thing is, Madagascar is one of the poorest countries in the world. Right. And all of the conservation issues really go back to that so when you help the local population of people you are ultimately helping the lemurs as well um, so that's why we have a really multifaceted conservation approach um, to help you know all of the people that we interact with as well as the lemurs that we ultimately hope to protect
1: I love that and then also by protecting people and lemurs you're also protecting other species that share the habitat because they're they're um, they're an umbrella species exactly right yeah yeah. Very cool. I love it. Um, I I need details about two more animals that live here, and they're not lemurs. One of them is sitting at my feet right now. (laughs) Tell me about the puppies that are here.
2: Yes, so we do have two office dogs. They do belong to our education manager, Katie. Um, And sitting at John's feet is Nacho. Uh, We refer to him as a Mayaka mutt. Uh, he was found roaming on the streets out here in Mayaka, um, and our f- previous executive director, uh, on her way into work stopped to try and help him. And he basically just jumped right into her car. <laughs> uh, so she brought him out here and we tried to find, you know, if he belonged to somebody for several days and, and nobody came to claim him. So Katie claimed him. <laughs> Uh, and then the other dog who decided to not participate in the interview is uh, Nanya. And she is a, um, a mini beagle uh, who Katie recently took in as well. Um,
1: she, she decided not to participate in the uh, interview because she thought it was Nanya business. <laughs> uh, this will be my last episode, folks. It's getting shut down after that one.
2: <laughs> well, that is actually why she's named Nanya. Oh, really? That's yes. amazing. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. That's also, amazing. Nacho business.
1: Oh, I didn't even think of that one because obviously (laughs) I just think of nachos. That's amazing. That's so great. Um, And uh, I bring this up for two reasons. First of all, if you ever know a musician who is out on the road and you have the chance to let them meet or pet your dog, just know that it is hugely helpful to us because I miss my puppies. And when I got here... And two dogs came running up to me. I literally forgot that we'd be hanging out with lemurs today. I was so excited about this. But second of all, you told me that um, Nacho actually does a little bit of work here uh, in the forest. So, so tell people about that. I think it's kind of cool.
2: <laughs> yes. So um... – as I mentioned, we have our fence line to keep our lemurs in and to keep native wildlife out. But we do sometimes have incursions. Either you know, when we have some sort of major storm event come through, sometimes there will be a, a, a branch or sometimes even a tree down on the fence line, um, and then we consider that a breach. Uh, and there is a chance that when those happens, uh, when those happen, that uh, some sort of wildlife will get into the forest. Um, and our biggest concern in terms of threat to the lemurs is uh bobcats so if we have some sort of potential idea that there is a bobcat in one of our forests um either prints or if we do have you know a breach or we do have game cameras set up there to monitor for wildlife incursions um they are rare and few between i don't
1: want anyone to freak out but and you do call the lemurs in and everything we do yes it's it's very safe the lemurs are safe
2: yes we do recall the lemurs they're in their shelters Um, But, you know, it is a fact of having these forest habitats that sometimes things get in. Um, So, yes, nacho will sometimes, if we do have... Uh, idea that there's something out there uh, particularly a bobcat we're not going to set him after a rabbit or something that would and horrendously um but we will go out there we will open all of the gates and we will let him and his friend delilah will go out there another mayakamut and uh they will run through the forest for a couple of hours and just kind of chase anything that they find um so far they have never found a bobcat which is always good news because it means there's not actually one out there. Um, but yes, he he is more than just eye candy. He is also a working part of our staff.
1: <laughs> An intentional conservation dog. I love it. <laughs> um. All right. So then, uh, how can people help? What can people do uh, to to help this amazing place?
2: Yeah. Uh. So you know, because we're close to the public, you know, we don't we don't have any admissions or anything like that. So we are a nonprofit. We run purely off of donations. Um. But. It doesn't have to be monetary uh we do also have you know we have an amazon wish list or even just spreading the word about lemurs is exceptionally helpful to us and lemurs as a whole um but as i said we have conservation programs so and all of that is run through our funds funds that we raise um, through donations and grants um and things like that and then also all of our operation budget For our on-site staff, our on-site colony, and all of their care comes from donations as well. So if you're interested in supporting us, um, you can always donate. But also just following us on social media, Lemur Conservation Foundation, or checking out our website. Um, We do have some other opportunities on there for education resources, um, more conservation information, and the work that we do. Research, you know, if you're a college professor out there that maybe you're like, oh man, a field school sounds really cool. You can check out our research page and see what all is involved in that. Um, we do a lot of stuff out here for really small staff and, um, you know, kind of any aspect that you guys might be interested in could be beneficial to us.
1: Very cool. And uh it came up earlier, but then we um we changed the subject. But the uh the boxes that you were talking about that educators can get with the children's books and the guide and all that stuff. I actually got to to see one. Y'all, these are really, really cool. Um if that is if you're an educator, either a zoo educator or a um, you know, a school teacher, um, like elementary school, I would say. Um I, Look into this. Check it out. The books are beautifully illustrated, and they seem well written. I didn't take the time to read them all because I wanted to go hang out with lemurs, but they look really cool, and um, it's just an incredible little package, and I highly recommend checking that out.
2: And I just want to highlight that the kit for educators is completely free. Um, there is no charge associated with it. You just have to sign up on our website, give us your contact information so that we can maybe pester you about follow-up <laughs> surveys. Um, and and if you do complete a follow-up survey, then we will send you a stuffed eye uh, which are handmade in
1: Madagascar. I'm not leaving here without one. They don't know <laughs> it yet, but I'm going to make it happen. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's time for Interrupting. 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 John again. I did not leave without one. I, in fact, rather left with one. Uh, it is an amazing plush I.I. If you don't know what an I.I. is, they are a really unique-looking kind of lemur. Um, and they are made super well, and they are a super cool toy. And the fact that you can get this for doing a survey is insane. And because I know that all of you are wondering this right now, um... My stuffed I I's name is Mr. Agreeable because the word I means like I agree. So if you say I twice, then you must be very agreeable. Yep, that's my life. All right, back to the interview.
0: Um, just another way that not just helping us at LCF, but um, helping lemurs in general or any other wild primates, we're all on social media nowadays. Um, And just avoiding liking, you know, those videos that portray the wild animals as pets, Um, even if they aren't, you know, you can't really tell if they're in a pet setting. But it seems uh, maybe a little off. Then just don't like it, don't share it, don't add anything to that picture, video. Don't share it with your friends, Um, even if it's in private. um, It's you know, we want to keep wild animals wild. And liking those things, sharing those things, um, just add to the illegal pet trade and in the end
1: and don't send them to me people send them to me they're like look you like animals and it makes me sad yes
2: and I just thought of another one (laughs) Um, another way to support us kind of indirectly but also to support other conservation organizations um, is if anybody likes fun cereals um, (laughs) I know yeah Um, Nature's Path Enviro Kids has a series of cereals, and one of which is Leapin' Lemurs. (laughs) And a portion of the proceeds will go to us. Yes! Yes um i'm so happy right now the photo on the back of the box uh is a ring-tailed lemur named allagash um she was born here she's now at cheyenne mountain zoo hey allagash um and and i took that photo so i get to say i have a photo on a cereal box which is really cool but they also have other cereals that support other organizations they have a sea turtle one that i believe helps moat marine um there's a gorilla there's a cheetah there's chimps um so if any of those are really passionate to you, um, they are a really awesome company. They do a one percent for the planet uh, donation, and 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 they're really yummy
0: cereals. Yes, I will add the Leap and Lemurs cereal is delicious. It, <laughs> it's I yes, it's just like Reese's Puffs, um, but Aww. you'll just feel better about yourself. <laughs>
1: Amazing. And on that incredible note, it is time. It's time now, don't you know, we've come to the end of the show, but there's one tale left to go, you're gonna laugh and say, oh no, it's time for the Ron safari Poop Story. Hit me.
0: Um, so this is Lauren talking, and I would say my poop story was pretty recently, actually, and my first mistake was standing under a tunnel, um... But yeah, one of our Red Ruff Lemurs, uh, Ranumami, was above me. And first thing in the morning, um, right when we had started, pooped right on my face, in my hair, um, just all over. And as some people might know, Red Ruff poop is a lot more loose, um, so not as easy to clean up. So I had to rush to the sink, and I was washing my face and hair in the sink first thing in the morning. And then I just went along with my day. (laughs)
1: amazing thank you so much both of you for doing this i I, this has been amazing and y'all i just i have to tell you as you heard it mentioned on here they gave me a tour of this place and it was incredible they gave me two hours hanging out with the lemurs and then did this interview which is over an hour long so um just thank you both that is such a commitment of time and and i i i am having the best day this has been amazing thank you
2: We haven't had visitors out here in a very long time, so we were more than happy to do it.
1: (laughs) So there you have it, folks. That was amazing, right? The Lemur Conservation Foundation is so good. And you can check them out on Instagram at lemur.conservation.foundation or go to their website lemurreserve.org. That's where you can go and reserve your very own lemur. I'm kidding. You know I'm kidding. No primate pets, all that good stuff. It is a reserve for lemurs, though, so it makes sense. Anyway, I cannot stress this enough. If you are or know a conservation educator or even just like an elementary school teacher, send them to lemurreserve.org get your little packet with your cool books and everything. They're really neat books and then fill out your survey and get your own Mr. Agreeable, your own stuffed II. It's really, really cool. The, The stuff this place is doing is just next level. It's so awesome. I am always so proud to get to bring you amazing conservation organizations and to have gotten to spend some time there was really special. So again, thank you to all involved and, uh, Last but not least, it is time for the Stiderk. The Rossafari podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Raw Safari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.